0: Alright, let's take the Word of God. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, as we um, know what the New Testament says, the things that are written before are written for our learning. And so there's no doubt when we look at the accounts of the Old Testament, one of the primary purposes of the Old Testament is to Uh, show us the seed of the woman. I think that's pretty evident. Uh, One of the purposes is to show that when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, we know exactly who He is and where He came from, uh, the promises of God. And uh, when we think about the Old Testament, we can also see uh, God working, uh, but working in man and also working with man. And there are some things certainly from the Old Testament to the New Testament that are different in what God does, but there are many similarities. One of those similarities is that God chooses to accomplish His work, He chooses to use man. Uh, God is doing a work and God says what He will do, but often He says, and I want you to do this. Uh, The New Testament says that we are co-laborers together with God. And that is a tremendous privilege for us to think that we are laboring together with God. And so God uses often human instrumentality. And here in Exodus chapter 3, we are looking here at what we would refer to as the burning bush experience where uh, God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush that was burning but not being consumed and we noted a, a number of things that um, in the opening six verses or the opening eight verses uh, between uh, the Lord and, and and Moses, and we'll talk about uh, those things. But I want to begin reading for this more for this evening's text in verse nine. Uh, the conversation between the Lord and Moses continues, and the Bible says in verse nine, Now, therefore." Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is, Come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. Now, I made the point last week, I stopped at verse 8, because up to verse 8, the Lord has, says, has said nothing about the involvement of Moses. He has just up to this point just said, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I have heard their cry, and I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and I'm going to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. I'm going to bring them into a good land. And so Moses probably is rejoicing at this point. And now we get to the point where God says, now therefore... This is where God says, this is what it means for you, Moses. This is what I'm going to do, but this is what it means for you. And so in verse 10, he says, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Now, try to put yourself in Moses' shoes at this moment. Up to this point, God's going to do this, and we might think, praise the Lord, amen. I think often when we think about the work of God in the world, I think we all say, praise the Lord, amen, God is at work. But I think sometimes when we say, well, God wants us to be involved, then it might get a little quiet. Right, because we all agree God is at work. But when it comes to our involvement, then sometimes we might tend to get a little silent or uncomfortable. And so here God says, I'm going to send you unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, "Thou shalt uh, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord... God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 10 if we go back to that point where the Lord says, Come now therefore, and I will send thee. I'd like to preach on those words, Come now, I will send thee. I'm going to explain those words here, Come now, I will send thee. Before we get there, understand here what this means for the life of Moses. In the opening part of Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush, and the Lord is going to introduce himself to Moses and to tell him uh, specific things. Now, obviously, there are many things that the Lord could say about himself. There's many things that we can know about the Lord, we can say about the Lord, but we limit ourselves to what the Lord says about Moses in this particular scene. Because as God speaks to Moses here, he's going to let Moses know about four things. We looked at verse 5. We noticed, first of all, that the Lord revealed himself to Moses as being a holy God. He says... When Moses saw the bush was burning but not being consumed, he turned aside, and as he approached, the Lord stopped him, and he says, you can't come any further, you have to take the shoes from off your feet, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And so, before God said anything to Moses, he wanted Moses to know that he was holy. And uh, I think it is true for all of us, if God's going to speak to us, he's going to speak to us on the basis of the fact that he is holy. Holy. And we have to get to the place where we understand that the God that we serve is a holy God. Then we also noted that the Lord revealed Himself as the covenant-keeping God. In verse 6, he says, "Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So as soon as God declared Himself as the Covenant-keeping God. Why do I say covenant-keeping God? Because of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was the covenant? Well, without going into too much of the details of the covenant, it was a threefold covenant. It meant uh, the promise of a land, the promise of a seed, and the promise of a blessing. Uh, Namely, that in him and the seed of Abraham would all families of the earth be blessed. And so this is the covenant-keeping God. Well, the children of Israel are in Egypt. They're not in the promised land. And so he is the part of the covenant of God is the land, and they're not there. And so when God introduces himself to Moses as the covenant-keeping God, namely the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, that is then that Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look upon God. And so what do we learn? Not only is God holy... But also, God keeps His word. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that mean? There are certain promises that are attached to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The descendants of Jacob are of the twelve tribes. That's why He is called Israel. And so, we know that there are certain promises connected uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, uh, uh, Moses is reminded that God is a God who keeps His word. We also notice in verse 7 that the Lord revealed to Moses his compassion for the people. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So there's three things that he says. He says, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. And so here the Lord reveals himself as the compassion, having compassion for his people. And we must be always reminded that, yes, God is certainly a God of, uh, of uh, righteousness, he is just, he is holy, but he is also a gracious, merciful God. And here we find here his, his mercy is communicating this truth. He says, I, I have seen, I have heard, and Moses, I want you to know that I know. And again, remember, it had been 40 years before that Moses had tried to do this alone. Moses had had compassion for his people, his brethren, according to the flesh, but he could do very little about it. And here now, Moses realizes that God also has compassion on the people. Again, it's been... 400 years that they've been in the land of Goshen. Now, obviously, they were not afflicted for 400 years. The affliction has happened more recently, and we know that if the affliction had not happened, they probably would not have left the land because it was comfortable there. And and so God reminds Moses of his compassion for the people, but also, lastly, he tells Moses, the Lord reveals to Moses his purpose for the children of Israel. He says in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them. So, so far, this is what God has said to Moses. I am holy. I am a covenant-keeping God. I keep my word. I have compassion on my people. And I have a purpose for this people. And so that's what He uh, says to Moses. So, so far, so good. As a matter of fact, when you go into the details of what God says to Moses that he's going to do, notice verse 7 and 8. It's interesting here. God says he's going to do two things. So this is what God is going to do. And notice his work is twofold. There's two things we learn. God's work, first of all, is complete. And secondly, his work is certain. Now notice verse 7 and 8. The Lord said, I have surely "...seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow." Verse 8, "...and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So there's a fourfold work that God says, This is what I'm going to do. I have seen, I have heard, I know, I'm come down to deliver them. I'm going to take them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I'm going to bring them into a good land and a land flowing with milk and honey. And so here God says, God's work is complete. This is all that I'm going to do. Now up to this point, he's done nothing. Uh, I mean, as far as bringing them out. No steps have been taken to bring them out so far, except if you could say to make them uncomfortable. So not only is God's work complete here, but also God's work is certain. Do you notice every time God says, I now, if you and I, if that's how we speak most of the time, well, I, me, myself, and I, there, there might be a problem if you are just always talking about yourself. Uh, and so here, certainly, we could say, well, it's not good for us to talk about ourselves, but, but it is good for God to talk about Himself. And so God says, I'm going to do this. I have seen this. I know this. And I am come down to deliver them. And so understand here, before the thing even starts, the work of God is certain. Now we know later he's going to tell Moses, just so you know, you're going to go to Pharaoh and he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to let the people go. Would you want that assignment? (laughs) Now go and bring the people out, just so you know, he's not going to listen. Now I will bring the people out and it's going to be a great deliverance. But it's not going to be an easy road. But before we begin here, before we get to the point where God says to Moses, now I want you to do it, He says two things about His work. It's going to be a complete work, and it's going to be a certain work, Moses. Isn't it wonderful that we can serve a God whose work will be complete? He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Whatever the Lord has started in us, He will complete it. He will accomplish it. That is true in our lives. It's true on the cross. It's true in the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to come to earth. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Uh, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. That's going to happen. So the work that God is doing throughout the ages, it's going to be complete, and it's also going to be certain. That's why we can say and proclaim, Jesus is coming again. And... Uh, The world says, well, some people, they they count the delay of the Lord. Some men count slackness. No, no. God is long suffering. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But his work will be complete, and it will be certain. It is complete, it is certain. So, with those things in mind, that is when he turns to Moses now, and he says, You're going to be involved. Now, again, up to this point, I think we, we all agree, right? We say, amen, the Lord's coming. We think about the work of God. Yes, wonderful. The work that He begun in us, He will uh, uh, take it to the end. We, we know that. We, we, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. One day we will be glorified. Romans 8. It's going to happen. But now He turns as now, this is how I want you, Moses, to be involved. You see... We often, and I speak with respect to the flesh and the infirmity of the flesh, we all all like to talk about how great God's work is, and it is, but as soon as we have to talk about how we get involved in it, that's when we get uncomfortable. And so here, Moses here, up to this point, everything is wonderful, but now God turns his attention to Moses, and so we read from verse 9 down to verse 15. I want to share uh, three truths about what is going on here between the Lord and Moses concerning the work of God. Uh, Let me give you the three points, then I'll expound on those. First of all, we see the choice of God for the work. God's going to make a choice for his work. His choice is Moses. Then we're going to see the concern of Moses with the work. So Moses is going to voice some concerns to the Lord about this work that he should be involved in. And then lastly, we're going to look at the confidence for God's work. How can Moses come out of those questions with confidence? Let's talk about, first of all, the choice of God for the work. So if we get to verse 9, and again up to this point, we don't know of Moses' involvement. I know we, we have the benefit of having the complete Word of God, but I think it's helpful for for us sometimes to put ourselves in the position of Moses at this time to only hear what we've heard so far in this chapter and to think about what is going to be the reaction of Moses. What is Moses going to feel? What is he going to think about the moment God says, you are going to do it, Moses? You see, we, we have the benefit of knowing that He's going to bring them out. The ten plagues. The Red Sea opened up. The wilderness wanderings. We get all that. But often we forget about that moment and what it meant for Moses. Uh, And in light of God's complete and certain work, we notice a number of things. First of all, we notice the cry that went up to God. So before... Uh, Notice the two words of verse 9. Now, therefore. So again, God has just said He's going to do what? He has seen. He has heard. He has come down. Right? He knows their sorrow. He has come down. He's going to bring them out. Uh, He's going to bring them unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto that land. And He describes of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore. He's going to give... Uh, Moses obviously the choice of God for the work but he's going to give Moses the basis of that work and that is the cry to God that he has heard when we think about the cry that goes up he says I he says now therefore behold Moses let me tell you why I want to use you in this Uh, Let me tell you the basis of why I'm appealing to your involvement in this work. Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptian oppressed them. So, first of all, there's two things we know about the cry that went up to God. First of all, God is not ignorant, God is not ignorant. You see, Moses, it's been 40 years. The last time, 40 years ago, he tried himself to deliver the people out. You remember one of his brothers was being beaten and he delivered him by killing the Egyptian. That's what he did. Uh, He thought that uh, this is a great start. He, He went the next day to find out how he could do it again. And what God tells him here is that I want you to know, Moses, I have heard the cry of the children of Israel for for many years, and I want you to know that I am not ignorant of what is going on in Egypt. I'm not ignorant of the suffering of the people. I'm not ignorant of their cry. I'm hearing their cry, he had said earlier in verse 7, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. Uh, The idea of knowing here is that God not only has the knowledge of what they're going through, but He knows what they're going through. Hebrew says that we have a, a high priest, not after the fashion of men who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but Jesus Christ can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. For He knows, He understands, what we go through in this life. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have a God? You know, we may know what, what we go through each other, but sometimes we not, may not be able to relate to it. But do you know who knows how to relate to it? God does. God does. We, we must be reminded that there is no one that has suffered as God has. Uh, the greatest suffering, I believe, of God... Who is a holy God is in Jesus Christ taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. The God who cannot abide sin took sin upon himself. I believe that's the greatest suffering that the Lord ever endured. And so here we see the cry of God. God is not ignorant but also God is not untouched. He says, I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And so God is not ignorant, and also God is not untouched. And so he says to Moses, I want you to know, I'm not ignorant of what's going on, and I'm not unmoved or untouched by what the children of Israel are going through. And so here's, when we think about the choice of God for the work, we see the cry to God, but then we see the calling of Moses. And so in verse 10, uh, the Lord says, come now. Therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is in the business of using human instrumentality. Do you believe that? In other words, while we're in this world, God wants to use you and He wants to use me while we're in this world. To do what? To do His work. That, that is the choice, the, the definite choice that God has made. Now, when we think about that choice or the calling of Moses in this particular verse, I, I know that God has not called us to do what Moses did. I, I know that. Uh, we, and by the way, aren't we grateful for that? We don't have to do what Moses did to have to go to Egypt to uh, a pagan king, to stand before him, to go through the ten plagues, and then to bring an idolatrous murmuring congregation uh, they say uh, 2 million out of, uh, out of Egyptian bondage and to hear all the murmurings and the complaining for all those years and then in the end not even to enter the land because you were so frustrated that you struck the rock three times so we, we, we think about that No, we, we don't want to do that and so I know no nope, God has not called us to do what Moses uh, uh, was called to do but yet nonetheless God has called all of us I'm not going to go for sake of time throughout all the times that there are things that as Christians we are all called unto. But no doubt we have a great calling upon our lives. We are a peculiar people and we should be zealous of good works. We are called unto good works. Uh, Ephesians 2.89 says, For by grace are you saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he says, For we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. That's what salvation produces in our lives. But as we think about the call of Moses here, I think that there are some principles that we can take from Moses' calling and think about God's calling in our own lives. The first thing we notice about God's calling here in our text when He says, notice the words, Come now. now. Now, what is going to be the command of Moses? I will send you to the Egyptians. But do you notice here what God says? Come now. And I'm thinking, where is he coming to? He's already there. He's already there. The, he, he took off his shoes. He is in the presence of God. Uh, uh, what, What does it mean here? Come now and I will send thee. You see, before there's a sending, he wants Moses to come. And I say come where? This is what we learn. God's calling is first and foremost a call to himself. God's calling is first and foremost a call to himself. He's about to send Moses. Now, remember, he's going to tell Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going with you wherever I am. We know that God is omnipresent, but he wanted Moses to be reminded that he would be with him. He would accompany him. He would do miracles through him and with him. But before any of that happens, he says, Come now, come unto me. You know, there's a pattern in that in even the book of Exodus itself. You remember the theme of the book, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4? God says, ye see what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto Myself. It's not so much about the land as much as it is about God. And here in this same calling, we find here that God's calling is first and foremost a call to Himself. I'm thinking here when God says, come now, come where? To God. Don't run away from my calling, Moses. Now don't dismiss what I, what, what I want to do in your life, where I want to send you. Come to me. So God's calling is first and foremost a call to himself. Uh, I've preached on this before, but you remember Jesus Christ, first encounter with the disciples? He saw Peter and he says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Same principle. Follow me, Moses. Uh, follow me, Peter, come with me, be with me. And when you spend time that you are with me, then I will make you a fisher of man. You see, Moses could not be the leader that God wanted him to be unless he was first with God. Unless he spent time with God. And by the way, everything that Moses did when he got to Egypt was under the direction of God himself. So you see, before Moses goes to Egypt, he has to have uh, this settled that His call in his life, the call in his life is primarily a call to be with God. To hear from God. To be in fellowship and communion with God. And Moses for the rest of his life would have such a close communion with God that he would be God's mouthpiece. And he is called the friend of God. God talked with Moses just like a friend talks to another. We'll see that later in the book of Exodus. Exodus. So we see here that God's calling is first and foremost a call to himself. But also secondly, think about those words. Come now, therefore. Uh, God's calling here, we think about that word now. You remember 40 years earlier, Moses uh, Moses tried to do it himself. He he tried to deliver the people out. According to uh, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, the people rejected him as a leader. We see earlier, you remember when he killed the Egyptians the next day, he, he went out and he didn't see an Egyptian uh, fighting with one of his brethren. He saw two Jews, uh, two Hebrews, uh, fighting among themselves. Uh, and he said, hey, what, what, what are you doing? And they said, but who made you a, a ruler and a judge over us? And so we find here that uh, when God says, come now... That means what you wanted to do then was not my timing, but now is my time. This is my timetable. You wanted to do 40 years ago? I actually wanted you to wait 40 years before I would use you. You see, God's calling, secondly, is best fulfilled when God is the mover and the prompter. God's calling is best fulfilled. When God is the mover and the prompter, Moses, I know what you. I, I saw what you did forty years ago. I know you were probably motivated by the right thing. I know you you uh, thought that you were the deliverer at that time, and that, that God would use you for that time. You were forty years of age. That's the prime of life, and you, you know that this this was it. This was the time. And it's been now forty years later, and God says, now. Now is the time. Now is what I want you to do. The time is... what. Now remember, the timing was prophesied when God spoke to Abraham that his descendants would be brought into a land and that they would dwell there for 400 years. And so we could say, it's the fullness of time. That God chose that specific time. And so God was the mover and the prompter in the life of Moses. And so we see here that God's calling first and foremost is a call to himself. But also that God's calling is best fulfilled when God is the mover and the prompter. And why do I say that? Because remember, if you go back 40 years, 40 years earlier, what was the, the, the basis of Moses' moving to try to deliver them? His flesh. Isn't that what he did? He took a man by force and killed a man. That's the flesh. He's going to go next time, now when God sends him now to go to Egypt, he's not going to touch one man. He's not going to fight. He's not going to wrestle. He's going to do things by the hand of God. And so 40 years earlier, it's been a work of the flesh, but now that God is the mover and the prompter, And by the way, he's probably too old to wrestle and to fight. Maybe that's why God chose when he was 80. And so we see that God's calling is best fulfilled when God is the mover and the prompter, not when we're motivated by the flesh. You know, we think about the work of God, and and we may look even at the map in the back of that whole area, and we just erase all the highlighted streets that we did. And we may get in our minds and say, well, let's let's do this. Let's, Let's get out there and let's... Uh, you know, uh, walk and knock on every door and let's, let, let's, let's do this and we can do this in, in, the, in the efforts of the flesh and not accomplish a whole lot. Just like Moses, you know, beating the air, trying to do something and making no difference at all. May God be the mover and the prompter. We also see thirdly, we think about the words, notice in verse 10, he says, Come now therefore I will send thee. So come now, therefore I will send thee. We see here that God's calling is often associated with obvious and understood difficulties. Do you see here, to whom will he be sent to? In other words, the Lord here didn't say, Moses, I'm going to send you to my people Israel. No, no, he says, I will send you to... Who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Hmm. Well, what is God saying to Moses here? That his calling is going to be associated with obvious and understood difficulties. In other words, he will say later to Moses that Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. But the point is the name of Pharaoh would ring in his heart and mind. Why? Because he grew up in Egypt. He knows how the Egyptian culture works. He knows that to the Egyptian, the Pharaoh is a god. He knows that the Pharaoh is worshipped. He knows that the Pharaoh has sorcerers around him who who can do miracles and and, and do signs and wonders, as we'll see they will do. And so he thinks to himself, this is not some small task. But can I remind us that God's calling is often associated with obvious and understood difficulties? Remember what Jesus said? He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and what? Take up his cross. Uh, the idea there, and by the way, none of us can take up the cross of Christ. He didn't say take up my cross. He said take up his cross. Well, what's the cross? Well, the, the cross, back in the day, it was a Roman punishment where when it was deemed that a... Um, a malefactor would, would uh, was worthy of death. From the cell of the prison, they would have to carry, put a cross on their shoulder, and they have to walk through town when they would go outside of town, often on a little mound or a little hill, and they would be crucified. But the point is they had to walk with a burden on their shoulders. Uh, in other words, the, the Jesus Christ saying, "If you want to come after me, I want you to know that there are going to be burdens, there are going to be difficulties, and so it is. Uh, there is often uh, uh, difficulties that are obvious, and they have to be understood before we serve God. There, there is no painless way to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I, I know that's what we want. That's what we want. Do, do we not?" Perhaps, isn't it maybe the reason why the prosperity gospel has made so many inroads? Because that's what the people want to believe. They want a Christianity without any difficulties. They want a Christianity that's, well, uh oh, if I do this, God will give me a bunch of money, and I will have no problems. It's not the way it works. We are still in a sin-cursed world. And so when we think about God's calling The calling of God upon our lives will be associated with obvious and understood difficulties. Uh, Jesus Christ promised to His disciples. He says, the world will hate you. But, don't worry, they don't hate you because they hate you, they hate you because they hate me. And if the world hated me, know that they will also hate you. Jesus told them in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, All they that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. So you know what that means of God's calling on our lives? It is often associated with obvious and understood difficulties. As soon as Moses said, send me to Pharaoh? Mm. Pastor, you mean if I serve God, that, that means a burden? Yep. That's the truth. I can't lie to you. We also see one more thing about God's calling. First and foremost, it is a call to Himself. It is best fulfilled when God is the mover and the prompter. It is often associated with obvious and understood difficulties. But also, number four, God's calling must never be separated from God Himself. Do you notice what He says at the end of verse 10? Notice He says at the beginning, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth... What's the next word? My people... The children of Israel out of Egypt. So if if you notice, he doesn't say to Moses, Moses, go do it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But now is the time. You go do it. He reminds him in the calling. He says, just so you know, these are my people. They're not your people, Moses. Now, is Moses going to lead them? Yeah, he's going to lead them. But they're not Moses' people. They're God's people. You see, when God calls us to follow Him, we have to be reminded that it's His work, not ours. Well, we get to be involved in it, but, but it's His work. When we think about the church, what did Jesus say? I will build my church. He didn't say, you will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He says, I will build my church. It's His church. And so sometimes we might get headlong in front of God and say, oh, well, this is my church. This is my work. This is, this is what I, I'm going to do. And so here in the God's calling, we, have to, we must never separate the work of God from God himself. So we see here the choice of God for the work. But then secondly, we think about the concern of Moses with the work. So God has told him what he's going to do. He has told Moses that he wants to be involved. He wants Moses to be involved in that work. But then we see the concern of Moses with the work. So Moses is, uh, Mo, the concern of Moses in our text is twofold. And Moses basically here, he addresses those concern with two questions. The first question is in verse 11. The second question is verse 13. Notice verse 11. And Moses said unto God, first question, who am I? Now, I hope we all understand. Moses know who he is. He is Moses. The son of Jacobed. Moses knows who he is. What is that question then? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's question number one. But then the second concern that he has after God says, I'm going to be with you, he then says, question number two, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, even I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Concern number two. Concern number one, who am I? Concern number two, what shall I say unto them? I think the first one is a question of merit. Who am I? That's a question of merit. The second question, I think, is a question of authority. Let's think about those. First of all, the question, the first question is, Who am I? Now, Moses, remember early on 40 years ago, if you study all of the Bible verses on Moses during the time that he was trained in Egypt, the Bible says that there was um, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. The Bible says he was uh, mighty in word and deed. Uh, So Moses was no doubt full of knowledge, full of wisdom, he was acquainted with the ways of the Egyptians, he was mighty in word and deed, and so no doubt he was trained as a a soldier, he was probably very gifted in in knowledge and communication, and and so we look at all of those things, and Moses now, it's been 40 years later, now obviously he's been a shepherd, for about 40 years. That's a different position that he had 40 years ago. But here now, he asks himself this question, who am I? Now remember, he didn't ask that question 40 years ago. 40 years ago, he looked over to the right, to the left, made sure nobody was watching. And he went and he killed a man with his own strength and power trying to deliver the the Hebrews out of Egyptian bondage. But now when God says what he is going to do, Moses gets to the place where he says, Who am I? Notice, verse 11, that I should go into Pharaoh. And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. So this is what um, Moses thinks to himself. Who am I? And it's a question of merit. God, I don't think I deserve... To be in that position. Now, I know, I'm fully aware that often Moses is criticized for what he says, for trying to give excuses. But I do believe this is an honest question. I think Moses truly thinks somebody else should be used for this, not me. You see, who am I that I should? What he is saying is somebody else should do this. I don't think I should. Uh, And he could even say, look, God, I, you saw me. I tried 40 years ago, and I was not able to. And so now, somebody else should. I have failed in the past. Don't you remember, God? So who am I that I should serve you? Can I remind us that we are all men, and there is often a time in the past where we say, man, that was an act in the flesh. I did what I did then in the flesh. And we might look back in our lives and say, well, look, there's, there's past failures in my life. Can I assure you that God still wants to use you? Can I assure you that despite what you've done in the past, that God today wants to call you and use you for His glory? And you might think, no, look, I've messed up so many times. Who am I that I should serve God? Can I say that you're the exact person that God is looking for? The person that says, Who am I? I'm not worthy. Exactly. Why did God wait 40 more years? God waited 40 more years so that Moses could get to the place where he says, Who am I? 40 years ago, he didn't say, Who am I? 40 years ago, he says, I am the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians. I am mighty in word and deed. And God says, I don't need you. You can't do it, Moses. Now that Moses says, who am I? God continues in this conversation. And again, no, the answer, God does not give the answer. is, Oh, Moses, you are worthy. Does he? No. God knows that Moses is not worthy. But he is glad that Moses knows he is not worthy now. You see, you see what God's looking for? God's not looking for ability as much as He is looking for humility. Why? Well, because God can take a humble person and mold them and shape them according to His will. But God can't take ability in someone who's dependent upon themselves. Who am I? So that's a question of merit. I, 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 I don't think I can do this. I, I think somebody else should. And while, while some criticize Moses for what he said, I don't think he should be criticized in this particular question because I think that's exactly where God was trying to get Moses to arrive at. Then there is the second question. Now I'm going to deal with the answer that God gives for each one of those questions in the next point. But let's go to question number two. The, the second question is, what shall I say? And by the way, when we think about Moses, I, I read this commentary, I thought it was good. He says, when the will of man acts in self-appointment service, he does not feel the difficulties in the way. But when there is a true call from God, these are felt. This, uh, this is what, uh, this what so with Moses. When he went forth in the energy of the flesh, He was full of confidence in the success of his mission. But now that he is called of God to do the work, he is very conscious of the difficulties in the way. And I really believe that if we're going to be involved in the work of God, if we think to ourselves, Oh, I got this. This is easy. We can do this. Then we are bound for failure. But if we get to the place where we say, Oh, this just seems overwhelming. Then I believe that's when God wants to say, all right, let's do it. Because now why? Because as we advance now, we have to depend on God, not on ourselves. The second question is, what shall I say? Now, the reply from the Lord in verse 12 is, and he said, certainly I will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee. That I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? That, that's, and by the way, that, that would be a, a proper question. From Moses, said, Well, I, I don't know. Remember, they had already rejected his authority. Who made thee a ruler and a judge? Who gave you that authority, Moses? So Moses already felt that. So that question is very logical for what he faced 40 years ago. They're going to remember Moses. Now remember, the, he's going to come next time with Aaron. So they know Moses and Aaron are brothers. They're going to remember Moses. He's the one 40 years ago that tried. And we didn't make him ruler over us. And so here Moses thinks to himself, well, okay. I I don't see myself worthy, but when I go, what am I going to say? So I think that's, the first one is a question of merit. The second one is a question of authority. By whose authority can I do what God's called me to do? What am I going to say to them? You know, that's perhaps a common question in, in service. Who gives you the right to do what you do? What's the basis of what you do? See, once we get over the question of I am not worthy, then we have to think about, well, what am I going to say? Who has led me to do this? Who has uh, told me that I need to be involved in this endeavor? What am I going to say? And so here, now we know what the, the answer is, but that's also a a fitting question. Because why? Because Moses, remember, forty years ago, thought to himself, "This is me, Moses, forty, prime of life. Um, handsome, powerful, wisdom. I, I got all. I got all the qualities." And so, then, if you ask Moses, he said, Moses, who-, who sends you? By whose authority do you do what you do? You think, I think Moses could probably talk about his pedigree. Well, I mean, look, I've been trained. I mean, why do you think that God preserved my life? Why do you think God wanted me and chose me? After all, I'm the one who grew up in Pharaoh's courts. I'm the one who was trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians. Don't you see what God has done? Don't you see that God has equipped me all along to do that? So by whose authority? By my authority. I've received all the training I need to receive. I know everything about the Hebrews, and I know everything about the Egyptians. Don't you think I can handle it? By whose authority, Moses? My authority. But here, it's a different question. What am I going to say to them? Why? Because his pedigree has been what for the last 40 years? A shepherd. So in other words, Moses can't come this time. First 40 years, courts of Pharaoh, Egypt, wisdom, mighty in word and deed. Now for the last 40 years, he goes to Egypt and the people are going to say, oh, what kind of training did you get? Where are you coming from? Uh, I've been a shepherd what, what, for... What is that, Moses? I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I, I didn't catch that, Moses. I've been a shepherd for 40 years. That doesn't give you the right to do what you're doing. So, when we think about God's call, we have to think about those two things. There's a question of merit. I believe that if we get to the place as Moses says, who am I that God is ready to use us? And if we get to the place where we say, like Moses, what shall I say, where we're not depending upon ourselves, our experience, and our abilities, but we say, because God led me, because God sustained me, because God will enable me. Notice the answer. So, So we see those, first of all, the choice of God for the work, the concern of Moses with the work, and lastly, we see the confidence For God's work. So here's the answer. So verse 12 is the answer to the first question. Verse 14 is the answer to the second question. Notice the first question, verse 12. And he said, so Moses said, who am I? He says, verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this Mountain. So a, a man who says, Who am I? This is the answer. Often we think about, you know, we, we read the question, and often we go right to criticizing Moses. He, he, he should have just surrendered and said, God, I'll do it. No, no, do you notice the answer? The question from God, uh, the, from Moses, received an answer from God to the question. Who am I? The answer is not, You're great, Moses. You're worthy, Moses. What's the answer? I will be with you. So, we we might think God would try to encourage Moses and say to Moses, Moses, that's a good question. Who am I? Well, let me tell you. Moses, you're just such a great guy. It's been 80 years. You've waited patiently all that time and you... You know, you've been a shepherd for the last 40 years. You really did a great job with the sheep. I commend you. I mean, I, I just, I think you're probably the best person alive in the world today. No, you see, when Moses said, who am I? God doesn't say, let me tell you who you are. When Moses says, who am I? God says, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you, Moses, what I'm going to do. You see, the answer is this. Moses is not worthy. You and I, we are not worthy. We're not worthy of salvation. We're not worthy of service. But nonetheless, God wants to use us. And so God says, Stop paying attention to yourself and pay attention to me. So, He says, Certainly, With certainty. You can take it to the bank, Moses. I will be with thee. And then he says, Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So Moses, here's the confidence for God's work. You ready? Here's the confidence for God's work. Moses would would go with the certainty of God's presence. I will be with thee. You see, Moses. I know you're nobody but, but I am somebody I know you can't Moses but I can uh, M- Moses I-, I know you've been one to this 40 years ago but now I'm going to do it and so it's not about you you see Moses you yes you are unsif- insignificant but my presence with you will make the difference you want to serve me Great! That's wonderful! But remember that you are unworthy. He ends the verse of what he says. He says, When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Well, where is he? Mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God. So he would. Can you imagine when Moses got back there? After going through all that journey, now God was with him all along. But then when he came back there, he says, you're going to come right back to the mountain where I called you from. And you're going to serve me in this mountain. And so God was, uh, basically said, I'm going to be with you all along, and I'm going to bring you to me. You see, Moses would go with the certainty of God's presence. That's the confidence that we have in God's work. It's not self-confidence, it's confidence in God. I know what the world teaches. Have confidence in yourself. Believe in yourself. What's the word that they use now? Uh, it's not trust in yourself, but um, have a positive attitude towards yourself. Self-affirmation. Self-affirmation. All those things. No, we need God affirmation. We need not have confidence in self. We need to have confidence in God. We are unable, but God is able. And so Moses would go with the certainty of God's presence. The second question, so that was the first question, is a question of merit. The answer is, I know there is no merit in you, Moses, but that's not what's going to make the difference. What's going to make the difference is my presence. And then the second question, remember, was, what am I going to say? And the reply is verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And so first, first of all, Moses would go with the certainty of God's presence, but here, Moses would go under the banner of God's power. What am I going to say to them? And he says, Well, let me tell you what you're going to say. I am that I am. This is the first time we find this. Uh, in other words, I don't know of another verse that I can point to where God said to either Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, says, I am, that's me, that's Jehovah. I am. So this would be, as far as we know, the first time that they would hear this term that God has called himself by. So what does that mean? I am that I am. Well, I am. The idea here is is this continuation. Uh, So we think about, uh, I am, and I I agree with those who say that means that God has always existed, that He is the I am, He is the self-existent one, and He is dependent on nobody else. But He says, I am that I am. What is He saying? I have always been, I am uh, self-sustaining. I don't need anybody to help me. Nobody has taught me. No, I need help from no one. And I will forever be. And I will uh, never cease to be. I am that I am. Remember the question. What shall I say unto them? I am that I am. And he said. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel. I am I am hath sent me unto you. The great I am, the self-existent one. What is he saying? The all-powerful one. This is a great contrast between 40 years before. Why? Because 40 years before, Moses took a man by his own hand and killed him. That's Moses' power. And so now we're going to see another Moses 40 years later and there's going to be, he knows, he anticipates the question. That's why he asks it. What am I going to say? You know, Lord, they're going to ask, what is, upon what authority am I doing what I'm doing? You know, the pattern throughout the, the Bible times, even you remember when Israel wanted a king, they want to be like all the other nations. They want a king, a king to fight for them. So they're thinking, when Moses comes, or when any leader is going to come, they're going to deliver us by a mighty hand. Somebody who's going to fight for us. And so Moses, when he's going to come this time, God says, you tell him, you have nothing to do with this. You tell him, Moses, I am hath sent me the self-existent one. The one who's always existed. The one who is self-existent and who will never cease to exist. The one who has all power. He is the one that has sent me. Again, think about it. God said, I will be with thee in the first reply. Then he says, so Moses asked the question, what am I going to say? In other words, Moses knows that there would be no visible presence accompanying Moses. In the first question, who am I? God said, I will be with you. But Moses knows there would be no visible presence. In other words, when Moses shows up in Egypt... God is not going to be visibly standing over his shoulder and saying, that's my guy, you listen to him. That's not going to happen that way. So Moses has has to have some authority. There's going to be no visible presence accompanying Moses. He was to go, in a sense, I know God was with him, but he was to go physically alone to the Hebrews, presenting himself as the God-sent Deliverer. By what authority, Moses? You know, isn't it interesting that that is the question that the Sadducees and the scribes asked the apostles in Acts? Remember, they healed the layman who was at the beautiful gate asking alms. Peter healed him, and the people thronged around them, and They preach Jesus Christ and then we get to the beginning of chapter 4. They take hold of Peter and John. They bring them before uh, the Sanhedrin council and they they testify. They say you can't preach and teach in the name. But one of the questions they ask is this, is by whose authority and by what power do you do what you do? Well, that was an easy answer for Peter. They said, by the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, for there is no none other name given among men whereby we must be saved in other words he says there is no other authority when here he says i am that i am i am hath sent me moses says i am sent by the great authority and in truth there is no other authority than god's authority Sometimes people may ask, well, what gives you the right to, to go out witness and knock on doors? What gives you the right to knock on my door? That's a good question. God? God? What am I going to, Pastor, if I talk to people, what am I going to say to the people? That's a good question. This is what the God of heaven wants you to know. By God's authority. Who am I? I'm nobody. What am I going to say? That's a good question. God sent me. Jehovah God wants me to be the messenger of His delivering hand. You know, there's a, 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 if you were to, a picture of the gospel there in, in those words. If you think about what God said He would do, back in verse 7, Notice, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, in the same way God saw the affliction of all the people of the world under the dominion of sin. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. God knows that all of humanity is lost without him, lost, dead in their trespasses and sins. And he says, and I know their sorrows, and God knows, but also God not only knows, but he knows what the answer is. Verse 8, and I am come down to deliver them. What a picture. God God did not physically come down in a physical sense. He sent Moses as the deliverer to, to bring them out of Egyptian bondage, but guess what? When the gospel was fulfilled when the fullness of time was come God sent his son made of a woman made under the law You see God became a man without ceasing to be God and so in this sense God came down to deliver us out of the hand of the Egyptians out of the bondage of sin and notice to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and large unto a land flowing with milk and honey And God redeemed us not just to bring us out of the bondage of sin, but He he wants to bring uh, us into a life of of, of peace and, uh, and, and spiritual stability. That's what God wants to do. And so here, Moses says, All right, he says, verse 15, And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. This is my memorial unto all generations. So Moses is not going to come and say, or think about verse 15. This is my name. My name is Moses. No. God is the deliverer, not Moses. If they were to reject Moses, they would be rejecting God. In the same way, those who reject Jesus Christ are rejecting God. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other. And he says, and this is my memorial unto all generation. So God said, I'm going to come down and deliver them. How is God going to do that? He's going to do that by sending Moses. <sighs> could God have done that without Moses? Yes. I think the question is, uh, the, the answer is obvious. Of course He could have. God doesn't need Moses. But God chose to use Moses. Moses. And in the same way today, God has decided and He has determined and ordained that His work be carried through the local New Testament church. And the church is not a building. It's people. And so there is a calling upon all of our lives to be involved in the work of God. And that is what God has chosen. So let's do this. Let's honor God's choice. See ourselves as unworthy, going in his authority.